0: From Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 26, it says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. You know, there was a a lot of uproar, a lot of mayhem that happened in our nation's capital this week and and we realize that we have a uh, government we have a nation that very much can be shaken and so how awesome it is to remember that we have a kingdom we have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken and the therefore is is saying because of this truth what do we do and and the author of hebrews says this truth this fact that we have a unshakable kingdom that the what we do with that, he says, therefore, let us offer to God acceptable worship. You know, this, is a, this can be fuel for our worship as, as we look around and see the unsteadiness of this world and compare that to the rock-solid foundation that we have in Jesus. Um, let's, uh, let's pray before we sing our next song. Father, we uh, just come to you uh, as needy people. We lift up uh, before you our nation. Um, We pray that hearts would turn to you in the middle of turmoil and trouble, and that, uh, Lord, you would remind us that we have an unshakable kingdom and an unshakable king. And, Lord, help us to set our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross and despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: Well, good morning. We were hoping to have Pastor Steve back, but he hasn't been feeling up to preparing and and coming this morning. So we're going to continue kind of a New Year theme maybe this morning. You know, here we are in 2021 and we've talked about 2020 and how that'll be good to have behind us. But as 2021 approached and as we've entered it, I haven't heard a whole lot of people saying, wow, I'm glad 2020 is behind us there's a lot going on, and it's, it's kind of a, a troubled time, you know, a time of division in not just the ideology, but in actually people's belief about what the facts are. And we see that politically, we see that, you know, scientifically, um, around even scientific and medical advice you can get varying degrees. You can believe sometimes that there are alternate universes that people are living in. And, and so that's not very subtle. But, you know, we're not really called to be apologists for Republicans or Democrats or democracy or totalitarianism or socialism or capitalism. Those aren't the things that we're called to be the spokesman for. We're called to be ambassadors of Christ and to be God's messengers. And so, you know, as I looked in the past year, things seemed uncertain. I was trying to figure out, is this, you know, are we approaching what is often referred to as the end times? And what, what should I be doing different, you know, if this is approaching the end times? And as I looked at the scriptures and those discussions that Jesus had in other places, I realized I'm supposed to be doing the same thing i have always supposed to be doing. Carrying the message of God to unbelievers, carrying the truth of God to believers, building up the church, going out into the world with the gospel. And so we are the messengers of God. And this morning, I want to look at Isaiah, and we'll turn to chapter six in a moment here. But he was one such messenger. And so what I want to see out of Isaiah chapter six is what is that preparation process? And I think as we see, How Isaiah was prepared to be God's messenger, that we'll see some things that will be helpful for us as we want to and are called to be God's messengers. So I'm looking forward to opening Isaiah 6 with you, uh, but let's pray. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to be together this morning. Thank you for this new year. Thank you for the hope that we have that endures, that's unchanging, uh, thank you that we can be lights in this world. Thank you for Isaiah and the the lessons that we can learn from him this morning. And I just pray that as we open your word, that your Spirit would lead both in what I say and in what is heard and understood. And I just pray for your blessing on our time in Jesus' name, Amen. So before we start looking at Isaiah 6, I just wanted to touch on a couple of verses. Just to set that expectation with us that, yes, we are God's messengers. And that does apply to all of us. And it might apply to all of us in a different way. There might be a different way that we bring his message to the world around us. But we all are called to be his messengers. So first, let's uh, just read this from Romans chapter 10. It says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? These are rhetorical questions that Paul is asking. And how are they to believe of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, and this is a quote from Isaiah, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So God has been pleased to save people through the preaching of his word, whether that's, you know, from a platform or sitting next to somebody at work, talking to your neighbor as you're out walking your dog, whatever. God has been pleased to use the communication between his people and the lost to bring salvation to people. And he says, the ones that bring that good news, how beautiful are their feet. So that's a call. And then I want to look also at Matthew 28. You know we've been going through the book of Matthew, and we'll go back to that next week. But I I think that the theme verses of Matthew twenty of Matthew are found in chapter twenty-eight, verses eighteen through twenty, where it says Jesus came. This is after he's raised from the dead. Jesus came and said to them his disciples, "All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations." baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So we have, you know, we have the peace and rest really of knowing that Jesus has been given all authority. No matter what earthly authorities we see in place, Jesus has been given all authority. And he's given us this message to give. And this purpose, to teach the world about him. And to command to obey all of the things that he taught. So, God has chosen to use people. Jesus gave clear instructions. All nations and to the end of the age, we're still here. So, we know this command still stands. But we might wonder, what does that look for me? I, I don't really feel ready to be God's messenger. And that, that would be a common feeling I think probably but that's one of the reasons why we're going to look at Isaiah chapter six so if you could turn with me to the sixth chapter of Isaiah and just just for a little context here you know the very first verse it says in the year that King Uzziah died so this we know when this happened to Isaiah it was the year that King Uzziah died and so this was about 130 years after Israel the nation had split into two nations. Okay, so the northern kingdom, they were in favor of more individual freedom, lower taxes, a less heavy-handed government. The southern kingdom wanted a heavy-handed, centralized government, higher taxes, everybody aligns with the king properly, and the kingdom split. The The northern kingdom... For individual freedom, the southern kingdom, you know, under a a squad of young, ambitious people that thought the state was where it was at. So, we can maybe relate, and this is 130 years down the road, right? And so, Isaiah is getting this message from God, and specifically, at the time that Uzziah died. Now, Uzziah was one of the kings in that southern kingdom. And Uzziah, he followed the Lord. He got rid of idols. He, he established worship of Jehovah. He elevated that. He, was, he had a mighty army. He was a great at agriculture. He, he made advancements in agriculture. And he was a very successful king. But then one day, probably because of his success, he decided I'm going to go into the temple of God and I'm going to offer incense to Jehovah. Well, that was a job that was only given to the priests. so the king went in to do this the priest came in said stop you don't belong here uzziah said i'm going in here and he saw the priest saw leprosy break out instantly on uzziah so as the king he was separated he couldn't be among the people anymore and he had to go out And I I think it it may have been 10 years before he died. But his son took the throne then and took the reign. And Uzziah, because of his pride in the way he approached Jehovah, he had to be separated because of the judgment of leprosy that came on him. So he finished up his days in a, a separate place of exile as a leper. So I think that has some bearing too on the way... Uh, this chapter starts out. So what I want to see as we read through this chapter is the preparation of God's messenger. And this is going to make an acrostic. Okay, There's uh, six things that I've noticed in this, and, and then I made them fit into a word. So uh, the word is author, and, and I thought of God being the author and finisher of our faith. So as the author and finisher of our faith, as we're going to be his messengers to the world, these are some things that I saw as a pattern in Isaiah and elsewhere in the scriptures too, but Isaiah goes through them very nicely here. So starting in verse 1, I'm just going to read the chapter. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go, and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, And their ears heavy and their eyes blind, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then I said, how long, O Lord? And he said, until the cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people and the land is desolate, waste. And the Lord removes people far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again, like a terebinth or an oak, whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. So just looking here at the end, the, the message that Isaiah was called to give was maybe not one of, that he really wanted to bring, because it was one of judgment and destruction. But it ends there, I just want to point out, the holy seed is its stump. Job says that even though a tree gets chopped down, there's still hope if there's a stump because it could sprout again, and Romans alludes to that as well. So there is hope in the holy seed, and we've been through the Christmas season where we saw that that holy seed did come, and there will be redemption, restoration, rebuilding in him. But to go back to the beginning, so the first five verses we see, and we'll go a little slower through this, that Isaiah was awestruck. He was awestruck by God. Then he, in response to that, felt undone because of his own sinfulness and the sinfulness of his country, his nation. Then he was transformed and prepared for the work. Then he heard the voice of God looking for a messenger. Next he was obedient. And he said, here am I. And then finally, he was receptive to the message of God and taking the specific message that was given to him. So let's go through these a little slower. Isaiah says, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. And he gives more details here. There's the seraphim, which I believe are a type of angel. And they're saying, holy, holy, holy. So with holiness... Personally, I've I've thought in the past that it refers to the righteousness and lack of sin in God, and I think it does. But there's also an aspect, maybe the primary aspect to this word is that God is above all and separate from all, and nobody shares in the position that He has. See, that's something that King Uzziah didn't really understand, and he didn't really that didn't enter into him when he thought he could just go into the presence of God without being commanded or invited to do so, and it cost him his life and his health. Isaiah, though, he sees this glory of the Lord. He's on his throne, and the train of his garment comes down onto earth into the temple, and he is awestruck. He's awestruck. So maybe you're thinking, like maybe I thought, well, how, how do I become awestruck? Because, you know, Isaiah, yeah, he saw this vision. He saw the Lord up there in his glory, and he saw these angels, and they're saying, holy, holy, holy. And he's shaking, maybe. He's in fear. Well, we don't see that on a normal basis. You know, I've never seen a vision like that. And I I would suppose most of us haven't, and maybe all of us haven't seen a vision like that. So how do we become awestruck with God? And I I thought of a couple of ways that, you know, are helpful for me. One is nature itself. You know, Romans 1 says that the invisible attributes of God, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, have clearly been perceived ever since the creation of the world. So I find it awe-inspiring. I get awestruck when I go out before the sun rises and I look up in the sky and I see the stars. At various times a year, I might see Orion, that I know about two constellations, the Big Dipper and Orion, (laughs) and I can find them, and that's awesome. They're always where they're supposed to be, and they always have the formation that they've always had all the way back to Job's day. And so that strikes me with awe. I was thinking about snow, snow the other day. You know, we've had this beautiful snow, and I was thinking, you know, each snowflake is made up of, I don't know, how many molecules of water, and I wonder this snow that's in the ditch in front of my road, where has that water been? It's probably been, you know, some in South Africa, some in Asia and and Europe and Texas, all over the world. I learned in elementary school science the cycle of water, how it, it is on the earth and then it evaporates and then it starts to form clouds and it gets cool enough and it drops down onto the earth somewhere else. Think about something as simple as a snowflake. And god's power and creation there and then i also thought we can wherever we are we can just look even at our own bodies the creation of god and look at our skin look right now if you would just look at the back of your hand what's under that skin there's blood muscles bones tendons who knows what all is under there but your skin holds it in and you get a tiny nick and blood comes out. So there's blood all over just under the surface, but it's held in by the skin. And then if you turn it over and look at your fingerprint, the tip of your finger, look closely and see there's, if, your light, if the light is right, you can see this pattern of lines on the tip of your finger. There's seven and a half billion people in this world and nobody else has that design that you have on the tip of your finger. God designed that. When you were a little baby, you had the same fingerprint you had in your mother's womb. Does that give you some sense of awe of our God? That he's designed each of us to that intricate level? That he's created a cycle of water? That he has put the stars in place and they follow the same patterns that we can tell time and direction from what we see in the skies? It does me. And I think that is as God intended it to. But we can also look at his word and i recommend this too we can look at his word to be filled with awe about god Um, some of the passages and that these might not be ones that that you would go to but i'll just tell you a few from my experience that i like to go to one is job 38 through 41. you know we've been talking about creation and this these chapters God is coming down to Job and saying you wanted to argument let me tell you who you wanted to argue with cuz Job was saying if I could have an audience with God I could show him that I don't deserve what's going on here. And so God came down and talked to him. And he started going through the things about creation that he had done. You know, and about halfway through he pauses and he says, "Okay, Job, you ready to answer?" Job said, I, I, basically, I didn't mean it, God. I'm just just kidding. <laughs> you know, m- move on. And so God does move on, and he continues for another chapter and a half. Of his glory and creation, Job 38 through 41 is a good place to look if you want to see God's glory and power and creation. In Exodus, Psalm 8, we see the greatness of God and God's goodness toward men. What an awesome thing that such an awesome God is good toward men Exodus 19 9 through 25 we see God's presence coming down in the middle of Israel and the fearfulness of it and the fact that they needed to stay back only Moses could go close or they would die you can look and get the same sense from Revelation 19 11 through 16 his awesome majesty and his fearsomeness and then we can see in John 1 the character and person of Jesus The first half, particularly, of John's Gospel, chapter 1. We can look at Philippians 2 to see his humility and his glory. We can look at Colossians 1, the second half of the chapter, 15 through 23, and see the glories of the person of Jesus. We can look at Hebrews chapter 1, or actually we can look at the whole book of Hebrews for that matter to see the superiority of Jesus. The word of God is full of the awesomeness of our God. So that's a a good place to start, too. And so when we see God's glory, we might say, we might be inclined to say, woe is me, (laughs) just like Isaiah did. He said, woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. But maybe, maybe you don't say that. You know, I was raised in a Christian home and I was taught right from wrong, you know, and, and I thought I did a pretty good job of doing it. Yes, I knew I was a sinner because the Bible tells me I'm a sinner, but I certainly I wasn't, you know, in the, the worst half of humanity as far as my sin goes. I didn't really have this attitude of Isaiah, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. But over time, that's changed. I, I've realized you know, n- not to the full depth, I'm sure, but I've, I've come to realize more and more, I am a man of unclean lips. I have an issue. So how can we deal with that if that's our thought? You know, if we don't get struck with God in that way and our own woe, <laughs> our own undoneness, well, in prayer, which we should do every day, we can have a time of confession before the Lord where we just reflect a little bit. What is in my recent, in the last day, do I need to confess to God that was a sin? And confess it to him. And we're forgiven. You know, we're, we're not like carrying this guilt around. It's not a matter of that. But there's also a verse in Psalm 139. I believe it's elsewhere too. But David asks God to reveal to him if there's any unclean way in him. So maybe, you know, maybe we just are not sensitive enough to understand our sinfulness. And we can ask God, I've done it before, and it it works. He will answer that prayer. God, reveal to me if there's something I need to repent of. And he'll do it. He will. That's a humble prayer, and it's not fun to get the answer to that prayer. It's not. But we'll get to the, to the, the reason this is important, too. There are, you know, a number of places that we can look. There's sin lists through the Bible that might help open our eyes to the reality of what God sees in our hearts. For kids that have not been raised with the scriptures, it's not uncommon for if you ask them a question, have you, are you a sinner? Have you sinned? It's not uncommon for them to say, no, I haven't sinned. And then I say, well, did you know that God said we're not supposed to lie? And the the facial expressions change. Like, oh, (laughs) lying is sin? Yeah, lying is sin. Did you know that children are supposed to obey their parents? Oh, yeah, I'm a sinner. (laughs) That's usually how the conversation goes, right? Because as soon as we start to bring the truth of God's word to bear on us, then we recognize, yeah, I'm a sinner. So um, a few passages. And actually, I, I kind of recommend even... Reading some of these passages in a translation like the New Living Translation that is fairly literal, but it also uses language that kind of hits home a little closer to me. <laughs> so it shocks me sometimes. Oh, that's in the Bible? Yes, it's in the Bible. <laughs> I'll go back and look at even more literal translations. Oh, that's what it, that's what it meant. <laughs> I thought I understood that. So I do recommend that as well. But Romans 3, 10 through 18, it just gives us The universal condition of mankind and the the terrible sinfulness of us in general. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19, God lists seven things that are detestable to him. Seven things. And when you read those, you know what it starts out with? Number one on that list is haughty eyes. Haughty eyes. (laughs) A little bit of I'm better than you. That's number one on God's list of detestable things. And some of the other things that you might think about when you think about sins don't even show up on that list. That came to my heart a number of years back to realize that, that the things that I think are okay really are much higher on the list of detestable things to God than I imagined. And the things that I thought were detestable, and they are detestable to God, God's word says it in other places but didn't even make that top seven list lying even makes that top seven list twice if you read it (laughs) causing discord among brethren is on that list too so haughty eyes lying causing discord among brethren you know those things we kind of can get a pass from from our fellow man sometimes or from our own thoughts but god says no so Reading the word of God can help impress us properly with our own sin. So if we've seen God's glory and we've seen our own sin, we know that we have a problem, right? We're not really fit. This is a glorious God. I am an undone, sinful man. How can I be his messenger? Well, we move to the next step, to be transformed. And so with Isaiah, it was a matter of, the seraphim came and he brought a, a coal from the altar, and he touched it to Isaiah's lips, and said, um, "There, in verse seven, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for." Well, what what had happened on the altar? A sacrifice had been slain. Its blood had been shed. It had been burned in the fire of judgment. And that work was taken and applied to Isaiah. And so, instantly, his guilt is taken away and his sin is atoned for. And that's good news, isn't it? So, uh, let's read a few verses here. Hebrews 13, uh, 10 through 12 says, We have an altar from which those who serve in Hebrews is written after the death and resurrection of Jesus. Isaiah is written before Jesus was born, just to make that connection for us. But we have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. The tent being the tabernacle that the the Jews had with them going through the wilderness. For the bodies of those animals, whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest, as a sacrifice for sin, are burned outside the camp so jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood so see just as the the coal from the altar in the temple where isaiah was was taken and applied to isaiah and his sin was atoned for it was paid for it was taken away his guilt was removed jesus our sacrifice has been slain on the altar of the cross. And God's fire of judgment came on him. And he died under that. He died under that. But you know, the judgment was complete on the cross because the third day, Jesus rose again from the dead. He was victorious over that. He completely consumed the wrath of God against sin for those who believe in his offering. It's applied to them, just like that coal was applied to Isaiah and his sin was taken away. Those of us, all of us are sinners. And those of us who, by faith, trust in the work of Jesus on the cross, our sins are atoned for. We are transformed. Let's look at one more passage from Romans 3. So earlier I referred to some verses in Romans chapter 3 that tell us how terrible we are as a human race. And it's followed by this. It says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So this morning, it's possible that you're here or maybe you're watching online or maybe you'll be watching later on YouTube and you have not put your faith in Jesus. You have a problem. You have a problem because you have to deal with this holy, 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 majestic, wonderful, perfect, separate, exalted God, and you are a sinner. Whether you know it or not, you are a sinner. And so you, those two can't mix without something being resolved. And what we're calling that this morning is for us to be transformed, for the blood of Jesus, for his offering on the cross to be applied to us, to have our sin and our guilt taken away forever. So if you haven't put your trust in Jesus, it's important. It's important that you do that today for your salvation. If you have, and you want to be a messenger of God, and maybe you are a messenger of God, and you've been Working to be a messenger of God, but there's going to be times when our enemy comes against us and says, You're unclean. You sinned today. You're guilty. You need to remember that it's the blood of Jesus that takes away our sins. We're forgiven, our sin is atoned for, it's paid for in full, and our guilt is taken away. We're now qualified. That's what qualifies us. What a blessing. What a a wonderful realization that we're qualified to be the messengers of God now. So, now that we've been transformed, I trust each one of us has put our faith in the Lord Jesus, we need to move on to hear the call of Jesus, the call of God In verse 8 of Isaiah 6, we hear the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Are you called? Maybe you have that question. Well, it says, how will they go if they're not called? Are you called? Well, we have this in Romans 12. It says, Paul says to the believers, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. We've experienced the mercies of God. We've been transformed by his salvation. By those mercies, I appeal that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So we're called to present ourselves as a living sacrifice. Not a dead sacrifice, but a living sacrifice. And so this is a very blank check because this is ourselves. This is all of me. This is not, you know, 9 to 5 Monday through Friday. This is not, yes, I'll do it at church on Sunday, but I'm not going to do it the rest of the week. This is not, you know, when I'm around this set of friends or acquaintances, but not when I'm around this set of acquaintances. This is not, yes, to go to my next-door neighbor, but no, to go halfway around the world. Or, yes, to go halfway around the world, but no, to go to my next-door neighbor. No, this is presenting our bodies A living sacrifice. So this this word that Isaiah heard said, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? It doesn't say where he's going to go. It doesn't say what the message is. There's a call. We need a messenger. And who is it going to be? And so then the O comes into play. Obedience. And Isaiah just says straight out. Here I am. Send me. He's realized the glory of God. He's been awestruck by that. He's felt his own unworthiness and undoneness. He's been transformed by the offering on the sacrifice for his sins. He's heard the call of God, and now he says, Here am I. Send me. He gives, as it were, a blank check to God. And sometimes this is referred to as surrender. I remember, you know, as a teenager, young person, I mean, some of you guys think that was a long time ago, but <laughs> it's not as long as it seems to you. Rod thinks it must I'm still there. <laughs> I'd like to think that too. But I remember thinking, you know, if I could just get to a place of surrender to God, I'll be fine. Okay That was a misunderstanding, because we can come there in our journey and in our hearts and say, "I surrender all. Lord, I'm yours do with as you please. But, you know, we're still in this world. We still have our sinful flesh, even though our sins are atoned for, and we have to do it again. Or maybe we said, okay, God, you can send me wherever you want to send me, but I'm still going to do X, Y, Z. Or maybe we say, I will serve you on Sunday morning, or I'll serve you Wednesday night, or I'll serve you here or there or another place, but then we realize, oh, <laughs> he needs our heart. He needs our body. He needs our time. He needs our treasure. He needs our talents. And we need to give that to him. And it's a recurring thing, I, at least for me. You know, perhaps it's because I never really fully surrendered ever, but I keep learning that there's new things, that I, <laughs> old things that I've been hanging on to that I need to let go and say, here am I. Send me. And so we have to have that send me attitude before we can go. Because God is not negotiating with us. And so he's not, he, he's very kind. He's You know, I'm a testimony to the fact that God, when he calls, he has given me things that reassured me that I'm going to be okay where you go, where you send me, God. You've shown this faithfulness. You let me still have this until I could wean myself from it. So I, I don't encourage that thought, but I have seen that goodness of God. And we can, we can surrender to Him. You know, I, I remember somebody saying, how come we always think if we say yes to God, He's always going to send us to Africa? <laughs> that was probably a thought I had. You know, it might not be Africa, maybe South America, maybe Asia. But we always maybe are afraid. What if it means this? And it might mean that. But you know, when you get there, God's going to take care of you there. You're not going to struggle with that because you give yourself to the Lord. The things that I've feared, that I've had fears about in considering serving the Lord, he's taken care of. The things, things that I stressed out about In one realm of service, I didn't want to go to this realm of service because that doesn't pay as much. Well, you know what? I had more financial stress over here than I did over here. God takes care of us, and he will take care of us. So we can say to him, here am I, send me. And yet, at that point, we're still not necessarily ready to go we still need to be receptive to what is it that he's calling us to. So as soon as Isaiah says, here am I, send me, the Lord says, go and say to this people. So he tells him, go. He gives them the words to say, this is the message that I'm going to have you carry, and it's going to be to this people. So once Isaiah has reached that point of giving himself to the Lord, as his messenger, the Lord gives him the message. He gives him the audience. This particular message was a hard one because it, it didn't really give hope on the surface of it that the, mess, the, the people were going to receive the message. The message said keep hearing, but don't understand. Keep seeing, but don't perceive. Have a dull heart, have heavy ears. That's not the kind of message that we just naturally want to bring. But God gave him that message. And later, as we get through the book of Isaiah, as you read through it, you see some much brighter messages. You see the gospel of Jesus. You know, if you want a good explanation of what happened at the cross, I think the best place to see that is in Isaiah 53. I think Isaiah 53 explains the cross better than Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John because it tells us what's going on. God. It's punishing him. He's suffering. He's bearing our sins. And he's giving us healing. So Isaiah didn't, this, this wasn't the only message he got to bring. But he brought this one. And then he, he has this question in verse 11. He says, how long, O Lord? I mean, when I read that, I kind of had this feeling that Isaiah was like, whew, that's heavy. How long do I have to say that? And how long is this kind of judgment going to fall on this country that I love? And the Lord said, it's, it's going to go on until it's done. But Isaiah still continues on. So, again, Isaiah's in a position here where he's having this dialogue with Jehovah. And I, I'm going to guess that most of us don't have this kind of dialogue with Jehovah, where we ask a question and he answers us so clearly and succinctly. So how do we do that today? as those that want to be and have been prepared to be messengers of God. Well, a few things that I found helpful. Prayer is very helpful, and and I've grown in that. Just this last year, I've I've actually started to listen to some of the people that say things like, Brother Norb said, you know, when you're praying, spend a little time listening to God. (laughs) That was kind of a novel concept to me. I thought there was this checklist of things you tell God, And you move on and so when you take the time to listen just silently try to discern what's coming in my mind is that from god does it match with what i know of his word is he directing me to a passage of scripture and i found that he will he'll take me to a passage of scripture that i need for that day and this is in my time of prayer not my time of reading the Word, but God will do that in prayer. Colossians says that we should be watching in prayer. That means prayer is not just a one-way communication. We should be watching for God's communication to us as we pray. Daily, one of the habits I've been trying to learn is before I get up from my quiet time with the Lord, and I, I read this in a book called Mastering Life Before It's Too Late, And he said, before you get up from your time with the Lord, take out your daily planner or your to-do list or whatever it is and make your plan for the day. What are the things I need to do today? Do that in the presence of the Lord. And you'll have a different perspective than if you just go and start doing and just come up against whatever it is that pops up. I need to address this. You'll have a different perspective. And, And you'll be feeling the leading of the Lord in that way. Um, Some other things. Number one, we really need to know God's revealed truth. And God's revealed truth is in this book. Everything that we think is coming from God or that God is telling us to do needs to be consistent with this book. So make sure that we're in this book because we won't know what God's calling us to apart from that. Look back on your life. What what are some of the things that God has done in your life? What are some of those milestones, impressions God has given you, experiences you've had that have equipped you in various ways? Those are things that God has been preparing you with. So look back. You'll, You'll see some things that you've forgotten about probably if you take some time to reflect on God's ways in your life. Learn your gift. So what are are the things that you naturally kind of find yourself doing? Is it singing? Is it teaching? Is it working with kids? Is it working with older people? That's probably related to what God wants you to do. What do you naturally go to? What are you thankful about after you do it? You know, maybe it's something that was really hard for you to take that step and actually do it, but after you're done, you felt like, that was what I was supposed to do. And you feel that joy. That's probably in the area of your gifting. What do others who have a relationship with the Lord, what do they say about your abilities? What are you good at according to them? Ask them and find out. They probably, they may not have like thought of it that way, but give them some time and ask them, what do you think I'm good at? And you'll probably find, if you give them time to think about it, that they'll be able to give you some idea what your gift might be. And then be open to adjustments. You know, this message that Isaiah got here is not the exact same message he was preaching in chapter 53. God will make adjustments in our life. And so something that we may have made a decision at this point in time, and now it seems like we're changing our mind, well, maybe God had something for you in that time don't get discouraged about that god makes adjustments i remember wanting to reach out to the town of carlisle so i i planned an event a gospel event we're gonna watch a movie passed out invitations all around the city came to that night and what a blessing but a whole bunch of people from cornerstone church came and showed up solid christians firm in their faith, not really, you might say, needing to hear the gospel message. And that wasn't what I had in mind, but I found out that that was encouraging to them to be together that way. And so I had to step back and say, Lord, I meant it for this, you meant it for that, and thank you. You know, nobody else that I invited came, but they did, (laughs) and they were blessed by your word. So be open to adjustments. It might not be what we, what we think it is. And so after having gone through this, Isaiah, in chapter 46, we see this verse that we saw quoted earlier. Isaiah in chapter forty it's not chapter 46, it's chapter 52, 46 chapters later. <laughs> Isaiah says, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace. Who brings good news of happiness who publishes salvation who says to Zion your God reigns see this message started out with one of judgment but when it's received that judgment and the awesomeness and the greatness of God there is atonement there is transformation through the work of Jesus and that's the good news that's where we get to the good news but we need to know a little bit about God and a little bit about ourselves to know that there is that chasm between us that met, that was bridged in Jesus and so finally I just want to leave us with this verse Hebrews chapter 12 it says fixing our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. This path of being God's messenger might not be easy. The author of our faith is Jesus. He's the one that said, Yes, send me to his Father. And he came. And he endured the cross, something worse than what we'll ever endure. He was forsaken by God he suffered at the hands of man and at the hands of God even in his obedience to God but look has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God that is the end of this pathway for a messenger there's difficulties in between there's things that are impossible to go through without the power of the Holy Spirit and the presence of God with us but The glory is there for us, just like the glory was there for Jesus. The sufferings and the glory that will follow. And Peter explains that to us as well. And so this morning in your seats, that wafer, that bread reminds us of Jesus' body that was slain on that altar for us. That juice reminds us of his blood. That was shed for us so as we sing this next song i'll give thanks for the cup and for the wafer and take it remembering that this is a reminder of the work that transformed us that took us from undone unclean people to a worthy servant and messenger of god so let's just give thanks for that father thank you for this this bread that we partake of now in remembrance of Jesus. Thank you for his work of atonement and transformation in our lives. That he's changed our standing before you from being people of unclean lips to servants of the Most High God, that one who is holy, holy, holy. We worship you this morning, God, and we give thanks for your word and we give thanks for this cup. And for this bread, in Jesus' name, amen.